Welcome to Beer and Gear with Felix and Wes. Brought to you by Highway Marketing. What are you drinking, Wes? Well, our our selection for this evening is a uh, from the Five One Two Brewing Company. It is a whiskey barrel aged double pecan porter uh, coffee from 2021. It literally has. Let's see if you can see that. It literally has oh, yeah. a date on it. Ooh. Wow. And it's a big giant bottle. So I only got the one this time, <laughs> but because it's it's almost like it's like a mini or like half a champagne bottle size or something. Yeah. It's yeah. huge. So we had like to postpone our last vibes. our last beer and gear we had to postpone and, and Wes had two of those. Uh, <laughs> and we never recorded it, but he drank him while we were talking about the fact that we had to cancel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If if I'm gonna spend eighteen dollars on beer on two beers, I'm drinking that shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For real. Yeah. I mean, you know, when when I used to drink, it was always I always preferred that it was the uh, you know uh, quality over quantity for sure. Mm, totally. Um, but you know, also my palate when it came to uh, beer was a little bit more. Uh, you know, I couldn't do the cores. I couldn't do like the Lone Stars. You know, I mean, I could, but I never enjoyed them. And the only other ones that I would enjoy were like the the higher. Um, the higher alcohol content or, you know, ones that are, you know, aged or. So, yeah, I moved. Uh, I moved from that. And, uh, I mean, I really only get to the point where I drink now for celebratory reasons or, you know, um, weddings or something like that. You know, if some, someone's throwing a toast up, I'm not sitting out, you know. Right. <laughs> exactly. What are you drinking tonight? Uh, I'm just doing an espresso. Um, and I'm doing the most basic uh, uh, espressos you could possibly do, um, just straight from a Nespresso machine. Awesome. Um, yeah, I uh, I got super uh, addicted to uh, just having access to this stupid machine. Mm-hmm. On a, a couple tours ago, there was a uh, um, there was a hotel that we were using regularly through through Europe, and they just had them always like with a million cups at our disposal every time we checked in, you know, just right there in the room. And I just got so used to it. So it's the most basic espresso you could ever get your hands on. But for some reason, I just, I guess, nostalgia now. It's so <laughs> now easy that it's to all do. gone. Yeah, you know, yeah. I can, it feels like, uh, you know, kind of feels like a little bit of a little taste of the road. I don't know. <laughs> so, and then, you know, I can put it here and, you know, have it here in the studio and don't have and to it's leave. so easy don't to, to do. go too far. You know, you don't, you, it's, it's literally just me. You push the button. That's really it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, and, um, I've always been a fan of simplicity. That's for sure. Uh, you won't ever find me doing, uh, any of the crazy, uh, barista, you know, bits with a, you know, crazy $5,000 machine and all that. Although I enjoy drinking those drinks and having those individuals prepare them, prepare them for me. But, uh, no, when it comes down to me, I mean, uh, the the simple things I enjoy for sure, just uh, whatever is easy, quick, and um, hits some form of satisfaction. And this one being, I guess, now that uh, we've all been kind of standstill, it's like some nostalgia. So that's where I'm at with this one. What are you drinking, Felix? Uh, you know what? I had wine with dinner, and I realized I was out of wine, and I wasn't going to mix. And we didn't have good beer either. I was going to get judged by the beer we had in the fridge. So I'm going with Topo Chico, actually. Yes. So, nice. There you go. drinking? Is that is that <laughs> literally what's going on here? Wow. It's you drink. So oh, it's, uh, called, Wes, it's called uh, beer and gear. Yeah. yeah it's like a, such a wash so these days. Here's, here's the deal, man. We've been talking about this, and this is an intervention, actually. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Somebody needed to do it, man. <laughs> yeah. We're recording one more of this tomorrow, so I'm. I'm, yeah. I'm <laughs> That's <laughs> what I'm go. saying. It's turning me into a lush, man. I've been drinking. <laughs> Part of my job now is drinking every day. It's crazy. You know, it's it like was I'm, before, but now you're recording. Well, I was about to say it's like I'm back doing production again. You <laughs> <Yeah>. know. <laughs> so, Matt, dude, I've known you for a, for a long time. I was actually thinking before starting this. I've known you since before I did this, and you worked at a music store. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that was uh, back in the, the Guitar Center days. Yeah, you were a Guitar Center. I, I wasn't was even in Austin. I hadn't moved to yeah. Austin yet. Yeah, so that was roughly after I moved to Austin. Uh, still super young in the game. Um, just trying to find just trying to find a path, really. All right. um, and just trying to stay active in uh, 
um, you know, and uh, being so young in Austin and having it be, you know, even then it was still kind of expensive, um, you know, being way back then. Um, so, um, yeah, getting into the industry uh, and trying to fill the void in between whatever gig and opportunity I was taking advantage of at the time, you know, and I think by that time I had already kind of committed to just if there's something that got thrown at me, I was going to take it regardless of, uh, you know, what I was doing and what other job I had at the time that was going to pay the bills. I, and, I uh, remember I cool that about, about you. I remember you always being like, man, this dude is focused. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I come in like all fucking around. I'm like, just crack a joke or whatever. And you're like, no, I'm here, man. It's business. What are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it was cool. You know, I was able to, I was able to come and go. And that was a, that was a big thing, um, you know? And uh, I mean, a lot of opportunities came up uh, because of the flexibility that uh, Guitar Center had, uh, you know, say what you want about how they, you know, how, how they operate and whatever, you know, but uh, they took care of me. And, you know, I mean, it was kind of on my, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was on my side of the spectrum on, you know, what I made there and what I did with my time and all that. So you can make some pretty cool things happen there. You know, that's you how I started, man. Proactive. That's yeah. how I started. I came from that, from the, I started in Dallas as well. Yeah. And it was that, that same thing, that path of like, whoa, this opens the yeah. door to, to other places. I met some it. really cool individuals working there. I got some touring gigs out of that, uh, that gig. And then because of that flexibility, I was able to take advantage of those opportunities. And then, uh, you know, everything just spider webbed out from there, you know, I mean, all, 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 uh, all opportunities, everything that I consider successful in my career, all started back in those early days. And, you know, I was doing multiple things, you know, I wasn't just working there. I was working at a bar downtown called Beauty Bar. Um, I don't know if you remember that one, but uh, I remember that was Beauty pretty, Bar. It turned yeah. into Holy Mountain, right? Or something like yeah, that. After. Yeah, yeah, totally. Beauty Bar turned was way cooler, man. Yeah, Beauty Way Bar was cool. great, you know, yeah. and uh, I was part of uh, the early crew, you know, um, so it was like a nice little tight niche little family. And uh, it's a pretty, a pretty interesting bit on uh, that, that whole scene was I was working there. I, I'd got my first gig there doing a gig for South By. What year was and this? Then Do I, you remember? What is it? What year? Do you remember? Oh, God. I mean, it had to have been like 2000, either seven or eight. All right. Okay. So We're back in the yeah. stone ages. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, so 2007, let's just say maybe, I don't know. But I remember working there and I, I somehow made an impression just by working South by, they brought in outside vendors. I was working for another, uh, I was working for a company that came in and had the beauty bar contract. And I met some of the uh, uh, beauty bar crew, the general manager. Um, Were you uh, ever there, Wes, at that bar? Beauty bar? No. Yeah. It was like Red, a salon. Right next door to it, Red 7. Yeah. It looked like a, it looked like a, old school salon kind of pinkish walls they had like yeah. hair dryers it was really cool it was a franchise you know so they had them in la they had them in las vegas or was it yeah las vegas and then uh, new york as well york, so yeah it was a popular spot because uh people passing through knew you know if you're you know uh if you're touring you know there's probably a beauty bar and they were notorious for having the after parties you know okay. if Stubbs was doing a show there was an right. after party at you know and you could catch uh you know, I mean, I ran sound there for um, Lady Gaga during South by Southwest. You know, Lady Gaga pops in before she blows up, you know, like oh, the tours. you know, like all crazy, crazy bands that should never play. What is that? Like a 200 cap room? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like it's nothing. But uh, yeah, anyway, so I made it, I made an impression somehow there. Uh, and I found out uh, through um, uh, once I started working there after South by that uh, one of the. Um, the owners of Beauty Bar Austin was the drummer for Trella Dead. I don't know if you guys remember Andrew oh, yeah. Noah's by the mm -hmm. Trella Dead. Yeah. 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 So I worked with him a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, so Jason Reese, uh, I'd always heard about him. He was always on tour. I never met him. Mm -hmm. um, and then one night it was empty as shit. You know, like nobody's there. Um, and then I just remember someone hovering over me while I'm running sound for this band. I can't even remember who. At the end of the set, he just looks over. He's like, hey, man, I'm Jason. You know, nice to meet you. You know, uh, and it was a brief introduction. And uh, he's like, hey, uh, so we're going to go back out on the road. Um, you know, he's like, you want to come to Europe with us? <laughs> it's just like, and I'm here I am at Beauty Bar doing, you know, nothing shows. And I finally get to meet, you know, Jason and uh, who became a really good friend of mine. And we're able to um, branch out that way, which I thought was a pretty cool, weird, random way to segue into my touring 
my touring career. Um, and, you know, a bunch of other stuff happened after that. But uh, that was a pretty cool, like, I was working the Austin scene and then immediately got, like, dropped face first into, like, Ross Gilda or, you know, just never been overseas before having to travel my own and then working at that time they were like a i mean they had two drummers two keyboardists three guitars you know everybody sang you know we had percussion and all kinds of other stuff and i had to do that on the fly and i don't know how and why he trusted me but he did and somehow it worked and um everything just that first how long was that first european lag that you did uh so we did about a year in europe Um, the whole time uh, well, you know, we, we jumped around a lot, you know, we, uh, we came back a couple times and then, um, you know, we did, a, a Europe for about two months or so, you know, right. um, and then, you know, came back home for a little bit and then we continued off to like an, an Asia bit and came back and did the States and, uh, but that was my first run with them. It was a year's worth of dates. Um, wow. and, um, yeah, it was it was in, it was intense uh, working for for them, and then you know also just being out of Austin, you know. And at that time, they had, I mean they still have a crazy fan base over there, but at that time, I mean we were doing massive festivals, and I really was kind of new to the band, and it's still to this day like just thinking back to it, it was just like wow, yeah, those guys. I mean, that was an incredible opportunity that I shouldn't have gotten, <laughs> you know, that so many other people would have been way more qualified to, to do. But for some reason, he just wanted to bring a little piece of home uh, with him out on the road and um, liked what I was doing at his small little dive bar and thought it'd be cool to bring that kind of vibe with him. And, um, you know, a lot of other stuff blossomed from, you know, me not uh, being scared to say yes when I definitely probably should have said no, <laughs> you know. I'm going to pause it right here really quick and go back really quick just to get reference. You said when I met you, you had just moved to Austin. Where are you yep. from originally? South Texas. You? South Texas. All right. South Texas. So Kingsville, just south of uh, Corpus Christi. Yep. yep. Uh, so yeah, I grew up there and then um, uh, moved out to Austin right after my 18th birthday. All right. And then uh, immediately just uh, jumped into um, jumped into the scene as any way and every way. I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I got into the industry down there or at least into the scene through local bands and things like that. And then I fell in love with the uh, the production side of things. I was the nerd in the band that recorded uh, very, uh, very ghetto, you know, recordings, you know, from, you know, my bedroom and early days of like Pro Tools and, and things like that. I had a little multi-track recorder, a little Tascam unit. You know, that was my my first little piece of recording, you know, uh, experience. And then shortly after that, uh, DigiDesign came out with, you know, the inbox mm-hmm. and that was a game changer for our little bedroom studio. And then, yeah, I was like, I, I fell in love with that side and, uh, I was like, uh, I got to try to figure out how to make this a thing. Cause, uh, it's the only thing that I can like focus on, you know, uh, everything else would kind of seemed forced. It's that so, passion, you know, that's, it, and that's probably what first gets everybody that first gig that they don't think they deserve, you know, mm-hmm. that always happens. You hear that story over and over and over again from everybody in this industry that, you know, that first big step that they make, it's like, I wasn't qualified for that at all, but I went out and did it and, you know, I didn't mess it up too bad. So I got the next yeah. gig, you know, yeah. and it was kind of, that's kind of that, but that it's that passion that people see in you, even if you don't know what you're doing, but you're passionate and you have that, uh, that, that, that drive and that ability to see everything and try to, you know, from a production standpoint, it's always about managing all the problems and making sure that, you know, from day to day, you have an answer for every problem that can come up, you know, and keep your head about, you know, those kind of things. And that's mm-hmm. people being passionate about this industry. You can see that real early on. I think that's yeah. how people step up into that, you know? And I was never afraid to let someone know if I didn't know what I was doing either, too. And I think there was a little bit of that open communication that they seemed to, um, you know, uh, appreciate, you know, um, you know, even if it was just uh, the might little little tasks, you know, it's just like I've never done that one before, but I, I will absolutely figure it out mm-hmm. whenever it comes time to actually pull in the trigger on that, you know. Uh, and then, you know, a lot of this industry, as you, as, as, you know, you guys all know, um. I mean, sometimes you just got to jump in, you know, if you, even if you don't know how to do it. I mean, a lot of this is just learning on the fly. 
Well, is that what we we're talking about last week? Was like this industry was created by a bunch of people that didn't know what they were doing, <laughs> and, you know, like throwing <laughs> yeah. it out there and just yeah. how do we get this louder? How do we yeah. how do we how do we make sure the people in the back can listen? And at some point, um, Wes, you're you're more educated in this, but people were building speakers not too long ago. Yeah, uh, that was all through the '80s and everything. Yeah. You know, I mean, and you think about it, and like I'm. I'm an old dude, so like the 80s doesn't seem that far back to me, you know, and up into the 90s even really, you know, there was no, there was nobody really, you know, I saw the things that got me into this, you know, from when I was a teenager going seeing, you know, like Van Halen, you know, at, at uh, whatever the Cotton Bowl or something like that, you know, I look back on those shows and I remember them sounding amazing and those were, you know, prism rigs from Shoco where, you know, they, mm -hmm. they built all that stuff themselves, you know, yeah. like you didn't buy speakers off the shelves you didn't go and there was no you know L acoustics or anything like that that you know or Meyer or anything I mean they're they were there but they were still kind of what people thought you know they were just building their own boxes so right you know it was but it was started by people that were just like huh you know this ground stack's great but what if we put it up in the air how can we do that safely without killing everybody underneath there and then we'll be able to throw it further back you know so I don't think they were even thinking about the killing not killing people man. <laughs> oh, I, I think a few of them were like, we should probably them. not kill the people them. that are paying to see us. So it's like, know? just hang it. There was yeah. one guy going like, guys, I don't know about this. <laughs> and that guy became the first rigger. <laughs> what if it falls? Huh? <laughs> what? Yeah. So, so after that tour, what happened? Sorry. Yeah, what happened what? after that? Yeah. Uh, so after that tour, um, I started chasing a little bit more of my uh, personal interests. Uh, in the industry. So, um, you know, being Texas, I was able to um, find network with and um, I actually to circle back to the Guitar Center networking. Uh, I had met a gentleman named uh, Sam McCandless and he was a drummer for uh, a new metal band um, called Cold. And um, he ended up inviting me out on a tour, um, you know, years after I had met him. And uh, he's like, hey, look, we're going to get back together. They hadn't, they'd been on a hiatus. And he's like, we're going to get back together and we're going to, um, you know, we want to tour and want to bring you along. Um, and I mean, I was a huge Cold fan. I mean, I was, uh, and that was one of the bands that even when I was, you know, when, you know, grade school, um, I remember that their, you know, their second album, I think 13 Ways to Bleed on Stage, uh, made a huge impact on me. Uh, it was awesome. It was amazing. Still to this day, it's probably one of the most original sounding albums I've ever heard. And that's one of the things that I miss about the old records is that they all had like a little bit of uh, um, individuality to them, you know, and that was one that stood out big time to me. So I took that. I, I did the I did the new metal circuit, you know, working for bands like, uh, you know, uh, like Cold and then, you know, coming in. Uh, close contact with others in that that circuit. You know your your Seven Dust, your uh, your Taproots, uh, uh, Nonpoint. You know we even did runs with them and just like that whole world. And then, um, um, you know, one thing from there just kept uh, each opportunity keep uh, kept um, uh, slowly growing. You know, uh, worked with a bunch of different artists since uh, that whole um, uh, that whole cycle. Um, got into some of the indie stuff, got into some of the pop stuff, some of the Euro pop stuff, even branched out into like some of the active uh, uh, radio rock. Um, um, and now doing some of the, the pop punk um, stuff that, uh, that's going on. Um, kind of really working that, uh, the nostalgia circuit that uh, seems to be resurfacing right now. Every band that you didn't think you'd ever see again is out or was out and, will be the first to be back whenever all of this stuff opens back up. You know, it seems to be, if you go look at every headlining festival, that's not like uh, ACL or something. Um, all the rest of them have, you know, some form of nostalgia, whether it's Kiss on the bill or uh, Priests or, you know, and then some of the other like younger, uh, we, we're even seeing like Billy Talent and uh, some Bad Religion, you know, and it's just like, those are all bands that kind of fell in after the Napster days kind of fell back into clubs and now they're doing the massive stages again you know they're headlining download and uh rock on the range and you know things like that and that was kind of the same kind of uh eye opener i got working with uh some 41 was uh when i got that call uh i obviously remembered some 41 i was a big fan of them back in the day i wasn't too much into punk especially pop punk but i had a mad mad 
uh, respect for them and the impact that they made on the industry at the time. And one of the first shows that we did, you know, I just remember, I mean, we were uh, Australia. Yeah, we uh, think we did uh, Download Australia. It was one of the first uh, festivals I did with, I mean, you know, massive stage, too many people singing along to songs that I didn't think were relevant anymore. And then, um, you know, I just quickly, you know, realized after doing like some of the Indian pop stuff that like all this nostalgia stuff is like real and alive and people love it, like Mm. love to hear what they heard when they were young. That's funny because from this side, I remember seeing like scrolling through social media and I says, he's working with some 41. I didn't know they were still around. And then then I look at pictures. I'm like, oh, wow. They're playing big stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're still around. <laughs> Real cool band to work for. Amazing group of uh, individuals. Um, by far, some of like the most like family vibey type of uh, um, band I've ever worked for. You know, they all care about everybody that's on the crew, and um, they really want that kind of like family vibe out there. And then the other bonus was I didn't know that they were so concerned with audio. I was like, this is punk. You know, this is going to be, you know, beta 52 and a 58 and go, you know, like just, you know, push it up. But Derek, uh, the lead singer, uh, huge audiophile. Like, uh, I mean, he's produced the last couple of records, uh, learned all of his tricks from previous engineers that produced their albums. Um, um, you know, Tom Lord Algae and things like that. He just bought David Bendit's uh, SSL, you know, and he's got yeah. his you know, still smells like smoke, you know, still smells like a cigarette. And he's got it in his uh, home studio that he had just kind of, you know, still working on, but is com- fully complete. And they've been um, tracking and writing all the ideas for the last few albums, you know, out of, you know, Derek's home setup. And yeah, this, uh, the Order and Decline album that just came out, he fully mixed it, produced it. And uh, I think even at the end of it, uh, once they had like mixes, like, and they were kind of sitting in a pretty good spot, I think even like uh, the drummer Zumo, we sat down and listened to some of the mixes. And he's like, dude, he's like, you can't let anybody touch this. He's like, it's perfect. It's exactly what we want. And if anybody gets this, obviously they're going to try to put a stamp on it and it's going to take away from where we are right now. And it's exact, it's putting exactly what we want on tape. So yeah, he, he's been doing that. He's going to be doing the next album. I, I can't imagine him bringing anybody in. We got to talk to uh, Tom, uh, uh, Tom Lord Algae came out to uh, Tokyo and caught one of the shows and got to chat with him. And he was like, he was the one who put him in contact with David to buy his console. And he's like, he told me, he was like, when I put Derek in contact with David to buy that SSL, he's like, I knew I was talking, I was talking myself out of a job. He's like, cause I was, you know, he, he, he likes mixing the band. And I mean, you still see some of the mix with masters that he did with them. And he always goes back to all killer, no filler and kind of, you know, shows how that production was built and uh, obviously would be highly interested in coming back and mixing another Sum 41 album. But now that Derek's got that console, I mean, he's going to, I mean, he's going to do the, the bulk of the lifting for sure. That's so really when cool. you work with somebody like that, it can go either way, right? Uh, you know that the, your 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 artist is a proficient engineer and and has great ears. It can be either intimidating or or challenging because you know like there's no way around it. This person will hear your your fuck ups, maybe maybe not. Or or is it more relieving that you're like, wow, I'm working with somebody that know what they're doing to give me the right sound that I need on stage. Or is it a mix of both? Um, uh, it's uh, it's a mix of both for sure. Uh, you know, the biggest struggle with working some with some artists is not having access to the engineer that created the sound. Uh, so you're constantly trying to create that sound, you know, regardless of what artist you're working for. Ideally, in a perfect world, you want to deliver that to the audience. Um, so not having immediate access to an engineer that was solely responsible for creating that sound um, is a little bit frustrating and you just find yourself constantly chasing your tail or second guessing yourself. But now I got the artist, the producer, the mix engineer uh, with me every day, you know, and then, you know, even on the off days, you know, uh, all of the things. And he's super, he's super um, involved, but he's also not uh, crazy about it. You know, he's not going to constantly be like, well, this, what about that? He puts all everything on the table and then fully trusts me to deliver it. 
He's not constantly sitting up there on stage and just being like, I really hope he nails that delay cue or, you know, that we, we talked about or whatever in pre-production. He's never, he's never worried about that. Um, but he does get all of his views across and he is very vocal about what he wants. And um, I mean, every day, uh, he never misses a sound check and he's always at front of house. You know, he'll start out on stage. He'll hear his guitar. He'll hear the band. He'll do the thing. You might even, they'll go through a couple songs after the second or third sound check song, he's at front of house and he's just listening and he's playing along and doing the whole thing. Do they, uh, do they listen to board mixes? You, you give them board mixes Absolutely. every night? So that was one of the big selling factors on when we uh, started approaching our uh, pre-production for how, what we wanted to change from where they were before. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the big concerns with him was um, broadcast mix. Cause I mean, obviously now that's, especially now it's going to be even more dominant than it was before. Mm-hmm. But you know, with a lot of the festivals we're doing, you know, you, the rock on range, I mean, and the other, the, the uh, Ross Gildas and things like that. Um, you know, you got to be fully ready for that board mix. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're not traveling with a broadcast engineer, I mean, um, you know, you're going to get your ass handed to you real quick. And that was the that was one of the big things that we changed uh, before. They had always been mixing for the PA, mm-hmm. um, which you know obviously we still do, but we not only are we doing that now, but we're also considering a bunch of elements. We're considering the board mix every time we put anything into place. Uh, we're even considering just holding an iPhone up at front of house and just yeah. seeing what that sounds like. Is our SPL right to where we're not blowing out the latest model or? Uh, all kinds of things. Just we want to make sure everyone who is listening in whatever form or fashion that may be, they have a little piece of something they can take home that sounds, you know, similar to what they kind of experienced uh, at the at the live bit. Right. Are you guys are you guys out with a system tech or you guys count on the house guys for that? Or are you doing that? You know, like, yeah, so kind of a combination. I, <laughs> yeah. So I took that responsibility on myself. Uh, Ooh, we actually had. Uh, <laughs> so. <laughs> We, we, we've, we've been spoiled a couple times. Uh, yeah, so I got a system tech who monitors. Uh, there was like on the last European tour we were doing, um, I had a system tech that would monitor our second console. And we were using the second console out of front of house as a broadcast mix. But uh, my, main, uh, my main console is fully set up to, to uh, pipe out that broadcast mix and have it be accurate. And we monitor that, um, you know, daily. Um, I um I mean I I take a uh, I take an iPhone out to front of house every show and you know at some point I'll throw it up and just capture a little something so Derek can hear it and then we record every show um that's always the show that we put up at soundcheck the next day when Derek just wants to come back and hear everything and how where we were how mm-hmm. everyone was playing um and then uh, we listen to broadcast and we make decisions on whether or not some sacrifices need to be made uh for the house to accommodate the broadcast. And, and we've fully come to terms with that. The bulk of our audience now is at home, you know? Yeah. So we, we hadn't, we hadn't, or we shifted focus a little bit, you know, we still care about all the ticket pay, you know, everyone who's holding a ticket and everyone sure. who came, uh, but uh, we, they give, we give them the best show we possibly can. But over time, you know, some of the shows that we've done, you know, where there was 20,000 people or, you know, whatever it was, you know, even 40, those videos now have over a million views, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so knowing so much that has changed, you know, like there's, it used to be what came out of the speakers, you know, the, the PA was the important thing. So you would do all these things to your master bus and all this stuff. And you would do this board mix and it's like, Oh, well you can't really listen to the board mix. Cause it's what was going on in the room. And now that's not the thing at all. You know, <clears throat> so many people count on their system tech to translate what is coming out of that master bus and make it sound right in the room. You know, that's, that's such a big part of it. That way that broadcast mix, you could pull a straight board mix off the left, right. And it sounds the way it's supposed to, you know, and that's the mindset these days, which that's is exactly, that's exactly it. Um, um, perfectly. Um, it's, uh, I mean, my whole approach to mixing is I'm always mixing a broadcast mix and I'm a system tech myself, uh, when I'm not on the road, um, working with Nomad here in, here in Austin. And so I know the intricacies and I have a huge amount of respect for the system tech and the, um, the, um, the um, the uh, overall impact that said individual can have on my show and we've come we've come a long way you know i remember when i first got into the industry you know yeah we still had some 
you know, I mean, it was still, uh, our line arrays were still new and we're still doing trap boxes and things like that. But now we're essentially mixing on near fields, Yeah, you know? And if you're mixing on near, near fields and it sounds good, just like in the studio, in theory, your board mix should sound pretty good. Mm -hmm. And that's the approach that I have with any artist that I have is I dial in my board mix in pre-production. And then from that point on, all I'm doing is making the system sound like my near fields. Um, you know, and if I'm going to be on an acoustics rig, I'm mixing on some 108Ps. I'm bringing in some DMBs if I'm going to be on a DMB rig. And I'm using those as my near fields. And then... Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I'm use, I use my ears a lot, my in-ears. Uh, there's festivals where I don't even have near fields and I get dumped out at front of house and uh, I'm on like less than an hour away from downbeat and I just pipe up a, a virtual sound check and I trust these more than I trust anything else. If it sounds right here, I know I'm going to be super solid uh, when it pops out of the PA, you know, granted, you know, I just got to watch my volume. Um, but I mean, yeah, these days, I mean, with the processing the way it is and everything being proprietary, if I'm on an L, that's why people request L acoustics, DMB, and all the big dogs is because I don't want surprises. Yeah. Uh, you know, there might be a better box out there, you know, by all means. But I mean, I think consistency is one of the things that most people look for uh, in this industry. And I can have a killer show. Uh, do I want to risk it, you know, uh, at a festival to possibly, you know, maybe be able to mold my mix that's been completely perfected on another rig to try? another box that could potentially maybe possibly be better and I'm going to have to work towards it the entire time. Or do I just want to put on my writer like, Hey, look, I want this box because I know you're going to be impressed with it. And I mean, I think that's the, the big problem that some of these other manufacturers have with trying to get into that uh, one, two and three tier portion of the writer, you know? Um, I mean, everything's already pre-built off of what already exists. So that's why loudspeakers in general have such a long lifespan. Uh, you know, and then insert whatever console here. And, you know, I mean, these days, you know, now that we're past the early days of digital, I mean, yeah, you're going to be sitting pretty okay, you know, and just unless you're just not up to the challenge or quite there technically or haven't quite developed your skill set just yet. I feel like we've moved into the gear portion of this. This is a very natural transition. So <laughs> yes. thanks, Matt. That was awesome. So uh, while we're on the subject, uh, you said, you know, you've got your console up front. What are you using? What are you doing? Uh, for my main console right now? Yeah. So I'm on an Avid S6L. Um, I went with that uh, because it had the uh, easiest, um, at the time, the easiest way to get my waves to my singer. Right. Uh, and that was what he wanted because he was like, yeah, when we we're talking consoles, he was like, I don't care which console we get. Um, he's like, cause personally, I'm not too familiar with what works right now. You know, what's, what's working for everybody and what everyone's using. He's like, but what would totally win it over with me is if we can get SSL onto whatever console that is. So that, that opened up a wide range of consoles for us. Um, you know, cause waves is on everything now. Um, and uh, we went with uh, the SXL because we are our pro current provider was uh, Rat uh, Rat Sound out of you know mm -hmm. um, California, yeah. And they had just acquired some of those consoles, and um, so we we picked it up early. We picked it up real real early. Ooh, and, how much uh, fun did you have with the software? A lot of fun. <laughs> I bet. Uh, I've heard I knew the it was I knew that question was so coming, much fun. <laughs> so uh, yeah, you know, to be fair, and you know, this is something that Felix will poke at me about i'm sure but to be fair if you were going to use waves integration the mm -hmm. avid console has the tightest waves integration of any of the digital consoles out there they're really the only ones that aren't basically you're just running another computer you know and, and piping it in as an insert you know they actually have integration on it where pretty much everybody else all you're doing is running a separate computer as an insert you have a whole other thing going on and you're just bringing it in and taking it out you know yeah. or taking it out and bringing it back in so mm -hmm. you know that's that's definitely true but i have heard the many oh, yeah. a horror story about the the first mm -hmm. software on that we had them uh, for sure. And I don't, I mean, uh, if anybody from Avid is listening, they helped me out tremendously. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, well, I mean, it was an I've early launch. It. It, was, yeah. it was an early launch for sure, you know. Mm. So we we took the risk knowing that. Mm. Um, and I, even our singer knew that. And even some of the issues that we had, you know, it was just like, all right, yeah, of course, you know, if that happened and, you know, what, uh, do we know what caused it? <laughs> you know, and it's <laughs> like, 
we think so, you know, and, you know, so here we go again, you know, but uh, it was interesting, man. Um, you know, I, I really had it written, like, um, taken a, a, such a new product out like that uh, before, uh, especially on some such a high profile run. Uh, you know, we were doing some massive festivals and, you know, yeah, there were some times, man, that I was nail biter, you know, but again, all of that, you know, kind of played into... Um, you know, the adrenaline that I fell in love with, you know, because I, for a minute there, I kind of lost it. You know, I was like, I was getting kind of like, all right, I'm, I'm, I, I've done a couple shows before, but insert that bit of risk and you'll definitely be, you know, standing. It'll make you pucker. Oh, <laughs> for sure. Man. You know, it was just, it was one of those, I just had to ignore it. You know, I just had to, I had to just go for it. And, you know, if it, if it was an actual problem, you know, we would have, we would have dropped, but um, and moved to another platform, but uh, you know they, uh, you know we we moved on and we had we had some su- very successful tours after that with no issues. So mm-hmm. uh, I don't know what what they did, how they did it, because I was skeptical even on the phone with them. Just like man, I mean, I don't know how we're going to fix this. You know, this seems like hardware, and you guys already shipped it. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> and then sure as sure as shit, you know, they would send me a patch. You know, it's just digital firmware you know and i fucking ate my words and i was just like i i mean yeah i heard that from so many people it was like there were so many issues at first and then it would get less and then like half of those and then half of those and then eventually it's like i i can't really find a problem now you know but it it was those first six or eight months where it was just like i said puckering every time you fire it up (laughs) it really was yeah and it wasn't just puckering it was dealing i mean we had drops you know um so, you know, it was interesting to say the least for sure, you know, but uh, it's, you know, digital desks, you know, especially new ones and ones that are as intricate or, you know, um, I mean, the, the biggest, most uh, uh, highly acclaimed ones, you know, I've all had drop on me, um, just every single one of them. I don't, I don't want to name them all. Uh, but you know, I mean, insert writer request one through four here and they've all dropped. Mm -hmm. Um, absolutely. They've all have dropped and they're computers. uh, They're going to, they're going to freeze up every once in a while. And you hope it doesn't happen in the middle of the show, but you do enough shows. It's going to happen in the middle of the show. Yeah. And then, you know, yeah, if you're taking it out on the road, it's not going back to the shop to get teched, Mm -hmm. you know, it's showing up at the next show and just getting turned on again, you know, Mm -hmm. and you might be doing outdoor festivals with all kinds of crazy dust, uh, crazy weather, humidity. Uh, our biggest problem was heat. Uh, and it wasn't just our console. It was everything. We were doing a warp tour, a little offshoot um, uh, after the 25th anniversary. We're doing sheds here in the States. And I remember hitting Arizona. Mm. Uh, we did, I can't remember what the name of the shed is there, but uh, we did Tempe. Everybody's playback systems died. Everybody, uh, you could not turn a MacBook on, and everybody, you know that you know everyone's go-to uh, monitor rig, you know, for that kind of demographic of band uh, was like an X32 or something. All died, you know. Uh, everything died. I mean, we had to have fans on everything, and I remember just seeing everybody go through this, and I was like, I already have problems. <laughs> I was like, if insert <laughs> oh God, 115 no. <laughs> degree heat, and I was, I don't, I can't even deal with that. You know, uh, uh, I was like, my wave server is going to crash. Let alone, I don't know what's going to happen to my console. I didn't even go out to front of house. I parked my console backstage in the hall where it was nice and cold, mm-hmm. and I mixed the whole show from the backstage hallway. And you are a smart I, man. <laughs> I didn't have a single issue. I piped my, you know, my my left, right, you know, straight to my uh, system text rack on stage. And I mean, at that point, we were already three weeks in. And I just told him, I was like, you know where I like to sit? You know what it's supposed to sound like? Uh, EQ it if it needs it. Turn it up if it needs it. But I'm just going to send you what I normally send the house every night. And, you know, awesome. going back, listening to Instagram videos and, you know, you probably couldn't even tell I wasn't out front, you know, uh, just comparing it to the other shed shows. Just like, yeah, you would expect that there was somebody out front mixing that show. And it's amazing. I couldn't even, I'm not even sweating right here. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, for, for, uh, for, cause you know, it was a standard amp, uh, amphitheater backstage hallway, just very white fluorescent lighting, horrible vibes. Um, so they ended up putting a, uh, a picture of the stage with the pyro going off right in front nice. of me printed out on the wall. 
So I was standing there looking at a blank wall, but at least I had a picture of like the stage where I could look up because that did naturally happen where I'd be mixing and then I'd look up, you know, and I could at least see some form <laughs> of amazing. rock and roll. Power is <laughs> still so going. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. And then it made loadout easy. I didn't have to do anything. And it was awesome. I mean, we're 20 feet away from our truck. That's awesome. Yeah. So great. Well, so what are you, uh, you guys are coming out of this, you know, we're, we're all trying to come out of this, you know, sane and, uh, and, and on, on point. Um, have you been doing anything during the, you know, the, the end of the world, as I like to call it, where you were, uh, working on your chops and, uh, you know, like trying to stay on top of it or, you know, cause I know a lot of guys, I, I've, I've talked to a bunch of guys that, you know, we all kind of did that thing at first where we were like, just kind of freaking out and and then it seems like everybody started doing you know youtube videos or or the opposite watching you know training videos and that kind of thing you know like i know i redid my smart training during all this stuff you know that kind of thing have you done anything to either learn new things or try to keep your chops up yeah absolutely uh i was uh lucky enough uh being that uh i work for for nomad here out of austin uh, immediately after we got back, I was able to, I mean, we, I mean, it shut down so quick for us here in Austin. Cause mm -hmm. once South by hit, you yeah. know, it was, everybody else at least had a trickle a little bit, mm -hmm. but for us here in Austin, it was doors closed. You know, South I was by there. I was there with an Aventus. Yeah. We're watching with an Aventus. I bring it in like two weeks before and, and the board is on the wall. And I think Andy goes like, we're getting fucked. Look at that. <laughs> and, I see yeah. everything. and we're like, oh, this is real, man. It's everything's getting like, mm. I, I, I was like, so should I leave the mixer here? You want to borrow it to try it out? Or? Forever. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we actually have a pretty interesting side of that. Because we, in, uh, we were actually in Asia in January of 20... Um, what is it? 20, 2020, right? Yeah. 2020, uh, yeah. So we're all trying 20, to forget the, the number, bro. We're, yeah, at the end of uh, at the beginning of January 2020, we were in Asia, and I remember us flying out of Taipei, going into um, uh, Europe, out of our uh, Asian leg, and um, we were in Taipei. And I remember, I mean, no, it's it's Asia, so everybody's got the masks, but for some reason, everybody was coughing, and we were so pissed off because we're just like, everybody here is fucking sick, like real sick, like Ooh. you know, it's just it just. We didn't know. We didn't, this was before anybody knew anything about it. You, so we didn't know any of this. And we're just, I mean, my singer got a mask for the first time ever. He'd never worn a mask. And I remember him even joking because, you know, everyone was kind of like poking at him, you know, because we're the Americans. We don't wear the masks, you know, and, uh, you know, them being Canadian too, the same bit, you know, and, um, you know, he was just like, he, he was wearing the mask. And I remember, you know, he just comes up to me and he's like, this is me now, I guess, you know, he's like, you know, just, that's the only way I can deal with this. It's just, I got to wear this mask because, these people are going to get me sick. And we, we, we get dropped straight into Europe. Uh, we end up spending a week in Milan, you know, and we do a, we do a bunch of shows there. We kind of base or camp out of Milan and then do an entire European leg. And then we come back and then we start looking at the news and we're just like, you know, starting to hear about this COVID thing. And, you know, we're like, you know, they start talking about the hotspots. And it's like, we were just there. I was gonna say you like, were doing like you were doing like a like a COVID tour, man. It was a COVID tour. It was one hundred percent COVID you were tour. For Luckily, COVID. We, didn't, yes. we didn't go into China, but we were right there on the other side. Um, you know, in Japan, and then you know, we, you know, over into Taipei, and then do the full European circuit. Uh, circuit, and uh, four of our guys got really sick, like real sick, you know. And then we just thought it was, you know, some, there's a bug. There's a bug on the bus. And I remember it was weird because my production manager, who I was sharing an office with, um, he got real bad. He got the fever. He had the dry cough and he had the fatigue. Like as soon as he woke up, he wanted to just be done. He was like, I can't. And we had to do 20 hour days. And that went on for a week. You know, our drummer got completely sick. He got it. Uh, he had the whole thing. So, yeah, when we came back, we kind of already knew that something was going on, but we didn't know how crazy it was going to get. And we had a two-week break in between that run when we got back in February. And we were supposed to go out March 13th uh, to do a South American run. I had to rebook those flights four times because um, uh, we saw the travel. Not only did it, was it the travel ban was happening. So management was just like, can you tell us if the band and crew are going to be able to get back? I was like, I don't think anybody can. I was like, Trump's about to 
<laughs> insert Close this the door. travel pit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's about to insert this travel. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen, like at all. And uh, not on that, we have COVID, you know. So you know. Um, and then yeah, after the fourth round of rebuying everyone's tickets and delaying our entry and redoing all of our logistics, uh, then management just said, "Pull the plug, or we're done." And we canceled an entire year and well, rescheduled. Um, and then of course that got rescheduled again. But um, yeah, we had an interesting side of it. I remember, you know, some of our guys even went into another tour. Our security guy went straight into the Corn and Breaking Benjamin tour. And that whole camp got sick. And, you know, so it was, you know, we didn't know if it was like us or, you know, um, other people, you know, that were uh, sick as well that went into that tour and got, you know, so there's a little bit of like just constant like guilt, you know, just, yeah. but we didn't know, you know, yeah. we, we had zero idea, you know, had we known we would have been a little bit more careful about everything, but you know, yeah, it was scary because a lot of us came back and we had just got through doing like a whole year and everyone immediately went straight back to their families. And we had no idea that we had just been exposed, you know, or some of us even had it. Yeah. Wow. So weird times for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody, you know, across the board, you know, everybody that you talk to, you know, in this industry, it was just... You know, nobody thought we nobody that has been in this industry for any length of time could ever envision that the industry would just that's why I call it the, you know, the end of the world or whatever, you know, like that was it just literally the world just ended and stopped and everything, you know, I, I've been in this business for so many years and there's. Mm -hmm you might not have the best gigs. There might be some dry spots, you know, after nine 11, there was a lot of, you know, these gigs kind of got canceled for a while and there was, you know, flying was weird and there was some of that, but it didn't just stop, you know, and, and not to mention stop, but it was illegal. Mm. So insert legality into a situation that we all didn't think was going to be possible. You know, I, yeah, I would have never thought every musician would be standing still in the world. You know? mm -hmm. It's like that thought never, I always, I was just always worrying about the next tour. You know, there's yeah. always another tour. There's always another bus, you know, just how am I going to get there? And, you know, so many uh, elements of uh, the industry that you can merge into easily. If, you know, you can't land that next, you know, sound gig or tour management gig or, you know, whatever it may be, you can just, you know, do so many things, but, uh, yeah, man, go home. And then a lot of people don't even know that we technically, I mean, you know, we're, we're coming out of it. But I mean, up until a month ago, we were still shut down. You know, mm -hmm. People were freaking out about, you know, like the restaurant industry was like, well, we've been out of work for three yeah. months and this is yeah. crazy. And it's like, dude, it's been a year, over a year for us. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, yeah, there's I feel hardly... for you. Don't get me wrong. But like, you, I mean, be, be thankful you're getting attention because. Yeah. Nobody even knows about us. Right. Very few people were talking about how bad, you know, you'll hear the things. You think about, live streaming is fun? You think live streaming <laughs> yeah, is <right>? fun? <laughs> you know, people would talk about like Broadway, you know, and they would talk about the production side of that a little bit because it's Broadway and people can see this and it's a big thing. But nobody was talking about, you know, the the LD now that's having to be a, you know, a part-time plumber or drive Uber Try, or, you know, Uber, yeah. yeah, you know, like nobody was talking about that and very few people there's you know i think uh what's her name amy klobuchar did the save our stages thing and got that mm -hmm. pushed through congress but i mean that was like literally the only thing that anybody was talked about and it was that long you know yeah, and yeah. then we don't talk about it again and meanwhile you know all these people are out you know having to work at home depot or whatever instead of being out on tour doing what they love and what they're good at and then, you know, just being so blind to the industry, you know, that whole just go get another job thing kind yeah. of really obviously rubbed us all wrong. It's like, yeah. okay, you know, yeah. So yeah, you're, you're a stable engineer or stable, you know, production manager or tour manager. You're constantly working. You're doing your thing. You're making X amount of money. If you're busy, you're making really good money. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, to just have it all taken away and then someone just say, go get another job. When your whole career is based off a very precise, uh, you know, uh, skill set <laughs> that doesn't yeah, really yeah. translate too well to like many other things aside from like the business side, yeah. you know, so. Well, and the craziest uh, part about it is so much. So if you think about it, people, they remember weddings, 
they, you know, forever. Like if mm-hmm. you get married, you remember that forever. You remember the birth of your kids forever. And I guarantee every single person has a concert or a music event that they went and saw that they're like, I'll remember that forever. That was the most amazing thing. And yet at the same time, they're like, yeah, but that doesn't really count. You know, like, you know, so like, I don't understand how on one hand you can, that can be one of the most important things that ever happened to you. But at the same time, you can't help out the people that brought you that experience. Well, and a lot of people see the musicians and they think they can be, they're okay. Is the yeah. four or five people on the stage, and you don't yeah. realize that Foo Fighters has is about eighty people, you know, yeah. <laughs> or, or however many they have, yeah. you know, uh, from sound people to people in an office, and, and it's a business, man. I think yeah, a lot of people probably just was like, you know what, Beyonce is probably okay, you know, she'll be fine for a year, you know, I don't have to worry about Beyonce, and it's just like, okay, well, <laughs> you know, it's like, how about that green even- room server that was that was counting on that gig, <laughs> yeah, you, you know, know, to be just, able to pay her rent or whatever, you know, yeah. the black the black clothing industry is hurting, yeah, really yeah, oh, cargo <laughs> short, pay, you know, that industry is devastating. We're not selling right cargo, now. black cargo shorts, man. What's happening? <laughs> man, <that's laughs> but funny. I, you know, I guess you know to to circle back to it. Yeah, I stayed busy. I stayed as busy as I could. Uh, it was a whole year off, uh, but I did selfishly take a two-month break. I went out to um, the Hill Country. Uh, my family's got some property out there. I spent two months out there right on the river. Uh, we got a private little chunk of land that's just right on the Frio River. I w- there was nobody out there. It was amazing. I also didn't want to be in Austin because Austin doesn't know how to deal with uh, an emergency at all. Uh, you know, Which one are you talking about? Are you talking about the, the pandemic or the snow or the... <laughs> insert, or insert chaos whatever thing here, here and yeah. forget about toilet paper and brisket. And that's... <laughs> so I immediately left. I was like, well, and also I didn't know how far it was going to go. You know, uh, I started seeing videos from Wuhan and I was just like, well, I mean, if that pops off, every one of my neighbors has a gun. So, and they're all like, they've been waiting for this moment. Because Texas... Um, <laughs> you know, but it's Austin, you know, too. So I wasn't too scared, but, um, you know, uh, yeah, that's a joke, just in case anybody's actually listening that, you know. Uh, I but, mean, they um, do have guns, but they do have guns. You know, <laughs> a large amount of people have guns, but, it's you know, funny again, you gotta, it's true. Yeah. You got you to gotta remember this is Texas, too. A lot of people actually really use guns responsibly. I think a lot of my uh, out of state friends don't think that's a possibility. But coming from Kingsville and the King Ranch, where all you did was hunt, you know. Yeah. So that that idea doesn't really grasp a lot of people from out of state, you know, that you can actually own a gun responsibly for a responsible reason. Mm-hmm. And then not to mention all the people that, you know, irresponsibly own guns. So there's a whole there's a whole bunch of back and forth on that. But yeah, I, I do I, have I a think, separate podcast that we call Beer yeah, Gear as yeah. well, where we talk about all the gear. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I spent two months out there. I, I I just I went off grid. And then when I came back, I you know, being that I have such a, an amazing relationship with Nomad and a Unfortunately, a lot of their gear was sitting. Uh, I brought the uh, I brought our console uh, straight to my jam room, and I had uh, my full front of house rig in my jam room for a long time. I, I mean, I I started from scratch multiple times. I brought in other consoles. Uh, I took full advantage of everything in our inventory. I tried you know a bunch of different things, different techniques, and uh, really fine tuned what we had and what I wanted to bring back uh, when we do pop back off. And I'm sitting, I'm sitting in a really cool spot. I know not a lot of people get that opportunity, but I mean, I don't know if most of the people know that it's very easy to go to a production house, introduce yourself and ask to tip a console. It's very easy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because um, a lot of those consoles are just sitting there. You go there on a Tuesday, chances mm-hmm. are there's nothing going on, you know, and then not only that, you develop a relationship with somebody you probably should have a relationship with. And, you know, you introduce yourself and you get to meet these individuals on a professional level. You know, there's nothing more impressive than someone coming in with initiative. And if somebody comes in off the street and says, hey, look, I got a show in a couple months. It's going to be on a Pro 2 or, you know, it's going to be on an SD5. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd like to tip a console and just prep my show if you don't mind. And more, I mean, you'd have to go to a shit company for them to just be like, no, mm-hmm. you know, but... um you know, if uh, if the, if it's just sitting there and you want to take it and you want to tip it, I mean, I know we always we always welcome it. Uh, if anybody wants to come over and they know someone in the you know uh, on our crew that can you know uh, bring them in and tip a desk, more than happy to make that happen. Yeah, I'm I'm an optimist on all of this, maybe, but I'm really hoping that through all of this that we 
it's it's shown me that as as a group we're we're much more together than we are apart, you know? Um, and I've said this on the other podcast when I was coming up, there was a big thing about, you know, when you would teach somebody like your mentors and not all the guys were like this, but the, there was a big kind of thought process around this about, I'll tell you 80% of what I know, and I'm happy to help you with that. But that other 20% is my secret sauce. And that's what allows me to keep my job. And like, I'm not going to show you that stuff, but it seems like that has something, especially during the pandemic, nobody is, a, everybody, wants to say these are all the things that I do this is how I do this stuff if it helps you that's awesome and we've all kind of come together as a as a community to help each other out so I'm hoping that at the end of this a that there'll be so many gigs that everybody that wants to do this is going to be able to have more work than they need come September October November you know first of next year because it's just so slammed and people are so starved for live music and b that we'll all be better because we all learn from each other and we all are a closer knit kind of family because of this. Yeah. And anybody listening that's, you know, works for a venue. If, uh, if we come back and that wedge is still blown, I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> so, <laughs> you've had a year. You've I'm just saying that year, right now, man. you know, you had a whole year. I can understand they might not be paying you, but you know, save yourself a little bit of time and hassle and get it fixed. Yeah, you know, yeah. just get in there and do something, be proactive, be productive. And yeah, I mean, I'm hoping the same thing. I hope everyone comes out of this a little bit stronger, a little bit, uh, um, uh, a little bit better at their skill set and what they do and how they do it. And, uh, you know, uh, if anybody was wondering, you know, that extra secret sauce uh, that somebody might be holding out on you, I'll just let you know right now, it's going to be experienced more often than not. Mm -hmm. So don't be shy to take a gig that you probably shouldn't do. Because that experience is going to be that extra little secret sauce at the end of the road that sets you apart from the ones wondering what it is. Yeah. Um, you know, and I mean, I know just by getting my hands dirty and taking advantage of every opportunity in the industry, whether that's from the production side to the touring side, um, you know, if, uh, if you're sitting and you have time to do something that you might not have been doing before and you can go fine-tune some stuff, you know, by all means. I can't tell you the, the, the best thing I ever did was in between a, a run where I had like about a year off was I started getting into the production side. And that's when my system teching skills got, you know, elevated. And I really figured out how to make that last 5%, you know, of my mix that I was missing. You know, I was able to like find it and make it possible my on my own and not rely on somebody who may or may not be able to help me get the, uh, help, help get me there. Um, and then, you know, it made me uh, learn uh, all the things of, of my signal flow, you know, all the way down to the science behind it. And, you know, those questions that I had where I'd constantly scratching my head and well, like, why is my mix sound like this? And the headliner sounds like that, you know, and just those little questions. And it's just like, okay, well, he's using every bit of the tools he has at his disposal, whether he's relying on other individuals to complete that puzzle or whether he's doing it himself, but he's figured it out that you're not just, you can't just be worried about the board. You know, there's so many things that play, I mean, all the way into how you prepared for that show, how you roll into that show, how you mix that show, how you um, set up that show, you know, uh, how involved are you during the system tuning process? Or are you vocal or are you just taking what you get? All those things play a big factor because those ones, when you hit those headliners and you're sitting out there in front of house after you did the afternoon show and you're like, this is amazing. And it's because those individuals have, A, learned how to delegate properly uh, and rely on trained individuals or they've acquired those skills themselves and they're applying them. But uh, yeah, so, I mean, that's going to be the big difference between when you hear the afternoon set and the headlining set, you know, and don't get me wrong that some of the headlining sets have been garbage, but, you know, the bulk of them, you know, there's usually a pretty big impact and a difference between what's going on during the afternoon. And yeah, it's, it's, it's exactly that, you know? So if you're not at the point where you can have a system tech and you can't bring your own PA on tour and maybe you can just afford an X32 or something, you know, uh, you know, do yourself a favor and learn the extra little bits that surround it. And, you know, that'll take your little 48K console and make it sound a little bit more suitable to the 96K consoles that are floating in that maybe have a higher price tag and, um, you know, um, give you a better, better chance at standing out or at least keeping up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's good advice. 
Well, Matt, this has been really cool. You know, I appreciate you coming on here and talking to us about, you know, all this stuff. It's, uh, I know it's a weird time, but, uh, uh, I appreciate you taking the time because I would assume you're about to be super, super busy. So uh, I, I appreciate you taking the time out with us. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you, man. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Happy, happy to do this. And uh, I'm glad we're able to like uh, see each other's faces. And hopefully we can start doing this and seeing each other's faces out in the real world again here pretty yeah. soon. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. We appreciate it, man. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, man. Yeah.